This episode is brought to you by Connect Rocket. Nobody stands up your EOC faster. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Grayson and I'm here with special co-host Chaos for this very special Emergency Preparedness Week episode entitled Disaster Puppies, the Canine Role in Disaster. In this episode, we'll also be discussing and asking the question. So to this end, we will be speaking with KS's human, renowned canine handler and trainer, Jay Palmer, as well as sharing a few positively amazing shaggy dog stories about an emergency manager's best friend. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian. Now, one of the best volunteer experiences I've ever had is being part of Canada Task Force 2, which is one of several heavy urban search and rescue teams across Canada, several members of which, by the way, are actually currently deployed to the many, many wildfires uh, burning across northern and central Alberta right now. So thinking of you guys, and I know that's a heck of a way to start off Emergency Preparedness Week. Uh, But anyhow, one of the requirements to become a heavy urban search and rescue team is to have canine search capability. And it's truly amazing amazing to see these dogs in action, so I thought the next best thing might be to talk about it on a podcast. But before I get to the interview, however, a a quick acronym analysis as Jay will be talking about CANTF4, which is Canada Task Force 4, GSAR, which is Ground Search and Rescue, USAR, which is Urban Search and Rescue, and HUSAR, which is Heavy Urban Search and Rescue. A pile is a rubble pile that might happen after a disaster or a structure collapse, or a hit and an indication is when a dog barks upon finding something. So with all of that out of the way, let's get to the interview with Jay Palmer, recorded April 2023. My name is uh, Jay Palmer. I live in uh, Brown, Manitoba, and uh, I've been involved in canine work essentially with the working dog industry since 2001. I originally was a police officer in the city of Brandon for uh, for uh, for 20 years and what I did was um, in 2001 I became a, a police dog handler and that was my original introduction to police work. I had house pets and things like that before but this was my original introduction to the working dog industry. I trained um, my police dog uh, along with the, in conjunction with Winnipeg Police at the time. It was a 16-week course, and the 16-week course uh, enabled me to come back, pass the validation, which is a testing process prior to coming back, came back and became a dog handler, and I was a dog handler for 10 years, uh, enjoyed every minute of it, and it was it's a very challenging position, but it's uh, it's very rewarding on the 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 things that these dogs are quite amazing and what they can really do. Um, in my last couple of years, what I did was I actually uh, joined the Cantia for the uh, USAR program as well, and I, I got another dog. So before I finished my police dog, I had another dog for the last couple of years. That I used as a USAR dog as well as a GSAR, which USAR is uh, is urban search and rescue, um, and then I used GSAR, which is ground search and rescue. And this dog was a certified cadaver dog. So what I did with this dog is uh, it uh, it worked with the USAR program as a cadaver program dog as well as the GSAR program. So I, I got lots of work in the province of Manitoba. Uh, was one of the first dogs in this province that that had uh, the ca- uh, cadaver capability. So I 
was getting called out quite regularly for different organizations and working with the, the RCMP or uh, Winnipeg Police or uh, different uh, agencies. So after I finished that, finished my policing career uh, and have a new title now, my title is now is uh, Canine Program Coordinator for the province. So I work for the government right now. And essentially what I do is uh, not only do I work my own dogs, but I also train dogs. Uh, I train all our own USAR dogs. I train GSAR dogs and I train the police dogs, Brown and Police, uh, Manitoba First Nations Police, um, Conservation and different organizations. I'm actually so I'm a certified trainer in the CPCA, which is the Canadian Police Canine Association. And what I am is I'm uh, I'm a certified master trainer with their organization through the Clear Standard. So basically, I train drug dogs, explosive dogs, and all different types. So, so that's basically my history as to where it brings us to now. Uh, right now, I currently work uh, a live search USAR dog and a G, the same dog as a GSAR dog. Uh, as well as I work, I still work another cadaver dog with the province. They're both connected with Cantia 4 and with the, I work out of the office of the fire commissioner. So I think that's, that's about my history. <laughs> I think a lot of people are a bit more familiar with like the law enforcement uses for canines. Can you give us a bit of a summary of the use of canines in disaster? You, you mentioned uh, you know, cadaver dogs and live search dogs. Can you explain that a little bit more? So basically, if any kind of uh, situ- serious situation with disasters or like uh, we don't ever wish for that kind of stuff, but like a 9-11 or something like that, that's what our dogs are used for. They search over top of rubble piles, uh, look, looking for missing people, uh, and ho- hopefully live people, because what the dogs do is they search over these piles. When they indicate they'll find somebody, they they bark. So basically, then the teams can come in and rescue these people and get them out of out of the area. And then we have cadaver dogs who also work this this type of pile. They'll come and they'll do the same thing. They'll bark for indication, and then it, we know it's a it's a it's a deceased person or whatever, depending on which type of dog you use. And then so which in conjunction works with the more of the disaster end of is also the the GSAR end of a ground search and rescue. In our province, what we do is uh, we search for missing people. Uh, meaning people that are got lost in the bush or, you know, sometimes we find them, uh, we come, if our live, do- live dog finds and it's a bark indication again, it'll be the same kind of scenario as well as if we have our cadaver dog. So when I, when I search with dogs, I search with both my dogs. So I run a, a live search dog and I run a cadaver dog. So I'm kind of killing two birds with one stone as I'm, so to speak, as I'm, as I'm, as I'm covering the area, walking through bush. That's how these dogs kind of work in the disaster end of it. Um, any kind of major disaster that happens in Canada, we can de- be deployed. Any dog right across Canada can can respond to that because we're all trained to the same standard and the same the same level. Uh, my position also with this is probably I'm the only full time canine uh, person in the country when it comes to u- the USAR end of it. So what I do is I actually I'm the canine lead for Canada. So I represent basically all the teams and they come to my area sometimes to train, validate and test their dogs or I go there. And so basically I I look after the program. Um, this year we're having a, a kind of a, a very unique situation is in September this year, we're actually running a national conference basically with all the teams right from Vancouver to, to Halifax. We'll be coming to Manitoba and into Brandon where we are, my training facility is. 
and we're going to run a, a, a course for three or four days and then we're going to do all our validations here. So it's going to be there could be up to 20 dog teams here, which is a pretty a good thing to have everybody on the same wavelength and the same page that it all we're all coming to work on the same standard. So to cover that end of the disaster end of it, that's why we use these dogs are trained and they're used for disasters and things like that. Like where I have my training facility here, I have an actual uh, rubble pile, what we call it. So basically it's a pile of cement with holes and tunnels where people can go right down to the ground with a whole bunch of cement on top of them, like a structural collapse, like a building. And this is what our dogs learn to train on. They run over top of this stuff and they, so when we go to, if we ever had to go to a disaster, our dogs are already used to going on that. You can't just bring a dog that's never been exposed to it. So, so the, the disaster part of it is these teams are ready ready to roll if anything did happen anywhere anywhere in our country. What do you look for in a in a search and rescue dog? Can any dog become a, a search and rescue dog or are there only certain breeds? Uh there's not there's not really any breed so to breed to to do it. What we need is we need a dog with uh, which has lots of drive. And drive by drive what I mean is loves his ball, wants to work hard and continues to work and work and work until they don't they can't work anymore. Um, a lot of the teams, like our whole team is all Belgian Malinois is what we use. And that's uh, traditionally a good working dog that the police, a lot of police organizations are using along conjunction with German Shepherds. But the Belgian ones are starting to get more and more popular. Um, we, Our team runs all Belgians, uh, Manitoba, as well as one Black Lab, that's our cadaver dog. As, and then other teams work uh, labs all different types of labs, whether black, yellow, whatever they have. And then as well as some have a Germ the German Shepherd end of it. But it doesn't, that's not necessarily the only dogs it can be. As long as the dog has the work ethic that wants to work, these dogs of ours will work uh, and continue to work until basically till they can't work any longer. They'll just go. So then we like dogs that are, um, have the agility to be able to jump over stuff. Like you get some dogs that just don't have the agility to run across uh, structural collapse and things like that so yeah so it, it it really isn't to say this is the dog we have to use but traditionally this is what happened most most teams use malinois or labs and what does that training look like i can sort of imagine the search and rescue training for live victims basically playing mm -hmm. hide and seek in the rubble pile but how do you train a cadaver dog um uh, well what happens is uh you you have to train a cadaver dog with um well obviously with human remains uh, we call them we don't that's what kind of the name of the dog is hrd dogs human marine human human marine remains dog uh dogs and what we use them for is we train them so we have to introduce them to to live like tissue and different parts of uh, of the body um there's a lot of there's a lot of jurisdictions that you're not allowed to have um any kind of body stuff like that um, right now, I think the only organization in Canada that can do it is OPP right now. They have a partnership with Queen's University where they can actually get the body parts to work with. So what we do is we usually use um, like I've, I've used things like I use things like placentas because um, you can get those. Uh, we use blood. We use if we get some fat tissues and things like that. And this is what we use. And some teams will actually take rags and put them inside cadavers uh, on autopsies and then they'll. They'll use this, uh, the smell of the rag, and that's what they'll use to find. Uh, what I use is obviously works because um, I've been to the States on uh, numerous times and trained with my cadaver dog. And in, in the States, they have different rules than they do in Canada. 
um if you want cadaver parts you can get whatever you want so we've been to places where they actually have like legs and arms and things like that out there and torsos or whatever and my dogs always hit up them like hit by hit i mean indicate on them so what i use in my training is obviously the the stuff that's the good stuff and uh and that's what we use um uh like for example tra- like the cadaver part of it uh vancouver's coming out in june to manitoba to initiate with their with their cadaver dog to to get all the initial tra- initial training and things like that because i do have the the odors that we can use in uh it's kept in a freezer and it's kept locked up in a freezer and uh, that's how you that's unfortunately it's not a great part of the job but unfortunately it has to it, it, it has to be done so and like and the same as the live search live search you have to introduce the dog gradually to get them to find people to before you graduate to a pile because the pile takes a long time to get onto a, to running on that but it's the same thing like you said they do little they'll stand they'll run away and and do hides and then the dog will find the dog will start barking and it just it builds from there so but that's that's the different indications we have is the bark indication is the most time because it's on a certain disaster it's too far the dog could be far away so you might not be able to see him doing this. You want to be able to hear him bark so that we can set up to do what we have to do for a search to find the person. How reliable are those hits or those indications uh, for either or a live or a deceased victim? They're really good. Like I, I've used my GSAR dog in the, or my, sorry, my cadaver dog in the GSAR world and did numerous finds and indications by finding missing people that have deceased, that have passed away in the bush and, um, I've even used my dogs at fires where there's a, a person, they know there's people that have been in the fire that they couldn't get out and they couldn't find them. And I've used my dog to bring, to come there and the dog will find and, uh, the people. It, it doesn't take any time at all for the dog to find, even through all that burnt rubble. Um, the quick story that in, in Montreal team, they had, they had that, uh, apartment block that, uh, that burnt down there about about a month ago and they were missing three people and they had uh they had searched for days trying to find these people couldn't find them they ended up bringing in cadaver dogs and within a day and a half they'd located all three of them and yeah so the dogs reliability is pretty quick so what we always do to to make their reliability say for example if i deploy a dog it doesn't matter if it's live or, or or a cadaver dog when the dog indicates we would send a second dog for a confirmation before the teams start going to going into work. So if the dog first dog barks, second dog barks, then we know we've got something there to find. So th- their reliability is really bang on, but again, we still use a second dog just for confirmation. Now, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about some of the uh, training and credentialing in Canada. Like how long does it take for a dog to become a, a certified search and rescue dog? And then how do we compare across the world? How is our training and, and our credentialing? So basically Public Safety Canada is the where our standard was was just generated, but it was put together by a group back uh, about 15 years ago. And then what we've done since the new people have come in is we've updated it and changed it because of new technologies and different things like that. So to train a dog to be a, a USAR dog, um, you're probably looking at, uh, you know, anywhere from uh, eight to 16 weeks in that range to to get the dog to do what it has to do. And we kind of said it that in our in Canada that the dog should be at least a year old before we actually start doing 
the uh, the the use are part of it. There is exceptions, and I have an exception. I had one of my dogs, my live dog, was certified at 10 months to to the standard. So what we have is we have a a standard level one standard, and then the dog has to pass his level one standard, then he graduates to go to a level two standard. So we have two two levels to get to that to where you have to get to, you can be used to be deployed in any kind of emergency or disaster from there. Um, and how we compare it to other places around around the world is uh, in 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 the U.S. it's FEMA. Uh, FEMA FEMA has standards that they that they follow. Our dog, our standard mirrors the FEMA standard with with a few more things we've added to it and different things and a couple things they may do different to theirs. So it, it pretty much mirrors it. If if you can pass the Canadian standard, you can pass the FEMA standard. Um, that's why we like to align ourselves with the American standard because. Um, they've been doing it for a lot longer than we have. And uh, I know my cadaver dog, uh, they were quite impressed to, when she was when she was doing their training there, doing their training there. And our USAR dogs, I've seen their dogs work and I've seen ours and ours are ours are very strong in Canada. And um, like some of the teams, some of the teams get their dogs from the States, though, um, through PennVet, which is a place in uh, Pennsylvania, I believe somewhere, somewhere in that area, they they buy their dogs from there and then they come back here and then they work them from here in, in Manitoba. Um, I'm the trainer here, so we don't buy our dogs from other organizations. Uh, I did a, I did a breeding program in, in our area here um, to get dogs for this program. And then I trained them all up or myself. So I've trained up the, our whole, we have six dogs and I've trained them all up myself to, to the level we have to go to work to pass the validations and stuff like that. So, so basically that's what I'm hired to do is to do is to get these dogs up to level. So we don't buy our dogs from other places and, and, and the States and things like that. And then there's nothing wrong with it because the dogs, the dogs are very good dogs and they're, they have no problem with, with passing our standard and things like that when they come back to here. So, so yeah, that's kind of how we rank around. And, and, and like I said, the reason you go to training in that in the states is that is to compare and see where your level you're at and to make sure your your dogs are comparable and and we've seen it we've seen it uh, on numerous occasions. So, what about the uh, the dogs humans? <laughs> what does it take to become a canine handler? To be a handler, well, it's a it it's <laughs> it's a, like I said, it's a very gratifying position to be a handler, but with with becoming a handler, it, it's a it's a heavy workload. And if a person's not prepared to put the hours in, like the dog, the regular hours of uh, working a dog and then going home and that's it, that doesn't happen because you take these dogs home with you, you have them 24-7. Like when I had a police dog, I trained that police dog, I'm with that police dog all the time, and then I go to work and I'm with that dog, and I bring it home and I'm with that dog. There's there's no other no opportunities when the dog is not around. So if you don't have the dedication to want to be a good handler and a hardworking handler, it'll reflect on your dog. The the harder you work, the better your dog is going to be. Being a dog handler isn't easy either. It's a, uh, in the police end of it, a lot of time, if some bad guys run and he's gone away and done something, what does your dog do? Your dog's tracking and taking you to that person. So you're always going to have to have a confrontation with this person, right? In the disaster world, you're doing the same thing. You're called in to a disaster where you have to be with your dog and your dog's got to do the work and stuff like that. But you're you're always have an element of risk involved in it. So you have to be prepared for all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, we get injured like me. I'm, I've been doing it for over 20 years, like I said, and 
I'm pretty banged up. I've had uh, like seven surgeries in the in the last 15 years on repairing repairing muscles and tendons and and, and uh, knee replacements and things like that. So I've I'm pretty sore now from what I've done over the years and uh, like in taking training like training police dogs taking bite work and taking bites from dog taking going tracking and running through the bush and looking for these people and you know it's it, it takes a toll on them so to be a handler you have to a lot of people think well I'm going to be a dog handler and they just kind of think it's it's kind of cool to be a dog handler you get to take a dog to work every day but with that becomes a huge responsibility and if you're not prepared to 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 do that and I educate all my people that I'm that I'm training that are handlers that to what I expect from them and what I want from them. And you know, you have to you have to actually go through to find that person to make sure that they're dedicated, or it'll reflect in like I said, like I said a few minutes ago, it'll reflect on the dog's abilities. You mentioned risk, and certainly uh, heavy urban search and rescue or urban search and rescue environments have their risk. I think one of the values of of having the disaster dogs is they can go places that humans might not be able to go. How do you kind of maintain control over the the dog when they're off in a dangerous area? Do you have little cameras on them and microphones? Well, yeah, we actually there there is there is camera hookups of these dogs, and you can actually mounts on their back on their harness, and then as it's going through things, it knocks down and goes up. And uh, a company out of Winnipeg uh, designs them. Um, they're not cheap, but they do they do a great job. And uh, so that's one of the ways we do it. We can we do have cameras for the dogs or um, like I said, we send these dogs. These dogs are trained to to go and we train them to go away from us. Uh, like a lot of people that have a house pet, you know how you walk a little, your dog will run in front and he'll stop and wait for you and come back again. Our dogs don't do that. Once we deploy them, they're gone and they'll go search and do what they have to do. And like the, the rubble pile most of the time isn't safe for humans to walk on but we we do the dogs can walk on them and the dogs will uh can go do that search whatever they have to whatever they have to do so yes that's your question that's uh they can go to places that we can't go and they go deep into the piles they'll start like some of my dogs and some of our dogs on our team are, are just like little worms they just weasel their way down into the middle of a pile somewhere and who knows how they get down that far then they'll start barking and then we know then we got to figure out where they are and then we go from there and we and these dogs are all very um part of the training is obedience training so these dogs are very obedient so if the dogs is a ways away you can whistle uh, do the call whatever you call that dog and that dog will come back you know these are these dogs are they're not just out there doing their own job they actually are they're doing their job but they actually listen to what you're saying so um you can always get them back when you need them now, I want to talk about the future of uh, dogs in disaster. And I keep on seeing all sorts of fancy robots and all sorts yeah. of search and rescue technology. Are dogs still relevant and will they, they continue to be relevant in the future? I haven't. I've seen. I, in fact, I was looking at a video the other day there of a robot in uh, NYPD has a uh, NYPD store, New York Fire has one. And it was going through the this area, looking through this building, and it got to an area where it went went up on this surface that was kind of on a slope and it just kept sliding down sliding down sliding down so it couldn't get up and then i then i heard one of the people say uh well i guess the dog's not good that thing's not going to robust not going to do any good for us so there is there is limitations for that and then i've also heard of the they've been talking about rats that do the they're sending rats into rubble piles to do searching now because rats will go right to right to towards humans and stuff like that but Again, I look at it. How do you, if your rat's out there, 
it'll have a camera on it, but how do you recall a rat? How do you bring a rat back? How do you do any of this kind of stuff? And and I mean, put put it this way, if you were missing in a in a rubble pile, what's probably the last thing you want to see is a rat. I'd rather see a dog come up to me and start licking my face and and make me happy and things like that rather than a rat. So, but yeah, I don't see, I see them trying new technologies, but I think they're a long ways away because I don't think anything can beat a dog right now because of the, just the way a dog can go. A dog can go into these little holes. A dog can run over top of these piles and a dog, a dog is obedient and a dog has, will work hard and you can communicate with a dog and, you know, I mean, they're going to try everything they can to make different technologies and, because everybody will try to think it's better, but um, the, the really the cost of a dog is not a is not a major cost of a dog. You you get a dog, you feed a dog, you give it vet work. If it gets injured, you got to fix it. That's really your only cost when it comes to a dog, right? So it's 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 cost efficient for what the dogs are capable of doing. I'll guarantee it. There'll be something new every, coming up all the time, continuously thinking that this is going to be the new technology, right? So, uh, but I haven't seen it yet. That something that something that can compete with a dog yet. <laughs> When you are on deployment, how do you take care of the dogs in disaster zones? Like when we're on, we have a disaster. We have our, we have a, it's like our own village, a tent, tent set up with uh, where we're in the area where we would, would say. And then in our one area, we'd have a canine tent. So basically the handler would be with, the dog would be in a kennel in the same tent with all the handlers. So basically the dogs are always with the other dogs. They're always, uh, and all our dogs get along and they're friendly to each other so they can all, see each other they're all happy to see each other and then we as well as the dog gets the stimulus from the people like us how they're on handlers um but yeah like a dog will go search and search and search and there's nothing to find nothing to find so what we always try to do is most of the time is we try to we'll set something up for a hide basically we'll put somebody over this area and run the dog the dog gets to bark and gets happy and then you put it back inside the kennel so the dog knows it's there not every time you're going to do that but these dogs like it's like a same thing as a police dog compared to a disaster dog a police dog doesn't always find the bad guy when he's out looking for him and neither does the the disaster doesn't always find the dog either right or a gsar dog or whatever it is so so yeah to be prepared i always believe that the dog responds to the handler so if the handler doesn't find anything and he gets dejected and he gets not very he's he's upset about it and everything else that'll come by dogs are masters of reading us so however we react I believe the dog will react the same way. So if you come back and it's not a big deal, you play with your dog, you're happy, that's like normal. I don't see the dogs going through this, the depression. I mean, I've hear this all the time and and I've, people have told me the same thing. And it's like, well, come and see my dogs. My dogs are all happy. They're just so happy. And everybody that comes to to look at my dogs and watch my dogs, they're, they're totally amazed at how happy our, my dogs are. And that's how I train. I mean, I train with with positive stimulation, always positive stimulation. And some, I mean, there is some negative stimulation, but mostly positive. And these dogs, they're always happy. So the depression end of it, I guess you could see it happen. But again, if if I'm depressed, my dog will be depressed. And if my if I don't have a good day, then my dog will probably not have a good day. So that's up to you as a handler to make sure your dog's not depressed, make sure he's happy all the time. And like I said, mine are all happy. So <laughs> the happiest disaster workers ever. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Jay, thank you so much for joining us for this epic interview. And thank you for your 20 plus years of of training all of these uh, little furry disaster specialists. Much, much appreciated. And and thank you for everything you do. All right. Thank you again. Now, in preparation for this interview, I looked up Jay 
And I have to share one story before we go, and it's a direct quote from the Brandon Sun about one of Jay's dogs named Scout. So while investigating a report of an armed robbery at a business, Palmer and Scout couldn't find the scent of any fleeing suspect. But Palmer was so confident in Scout's ability, he told detectives that if his partner couldn't find a scent, then the robbery didn't happen, despite the story told by the weepy employee behind the till. Sure enough, detectives re-interviewed the employee and learned it was the employee who had stolen the money and concocted the robbery story to cover up the crime. So there you have it, the nose knows. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Jay Palmer for sharing his time and expertise with us on the topic of canines in disaster. Uh, just before you go, I really do need to thank our EP Week sponsor, Connect Rocket, a disaster fan-out service many of you are probably familiar with. Now, usually when a sponsor gives a podcast money, they want an advertisement and they give you a script, but all they wanted from us was to keep on doing what we do to share information and start meaningful conversations, which I think tells you everything you need to know about their commitment to disaster management. Uh, but yeah, I, I do feel like I owe them a plug, so check out connectrocket.com if you're interested in standing up your EOC faster. Thanks so much for listening and happy emergency preparedness week.